Good day, everyone. We're Martin and Gillian from the London Globalist, and we're back with another episode of our podcast. As some of us might have known, Peru is recently going through a series of political crises prompted by the ousting of Castillo by the Congress. Castillo's deposition has spawned dichotomous responses. Some hail it as an opportunity for political reform, while others denounce it as a political crisis. Questions remain. Is the current political instability a passing phase inevitable in the reinstallation of democracy, or has Castillo left such a permanent scar that democracy has been completely dismantled? Was Peruvian democracy sleeping, or was it already dead? We're very honored today to be joined by Professor Gonzalo, uh, professor at San Pablo Catholic University, who will be sharing his value insights with us. So, Professor Gonzalo, uh, thank you for joining us today. Hello, guys. Thank you for having me. So, uh, would you like to introduce yourself to uh, the audience, firstly? Yes, I'm a Peruvian political analyst. I teach political science at two universities, Universidad Católica de Santa Maria, Universidad Católica San Pablo. And I've studied my MPP at LSE, so I feel like perfectly in home. Wow! Wow! So yeah, so we're so you're our senior schoolmates. <laughs> yeah. Seems. Yeah. Yes. So yes. Uh, so let's just uh, get to the questions. So from your point of view, what paved the way for the ongoing political instability in Peru, does it indicate any fundamental flow in the political institutional design in Peru? Well, that, that's a great question. I think there are several elements we can we can discuss. No, the first one is there is a major deterioration of the system of political representation, I think, first of all. There are some other issues that can affect the representation links and other ones that can affect the deterioration of the democratic political culture. Uh, but let's begin addressing the first one that's Peru's traditional parties have been whipped off of the map, no, shaken by corruption scandals, as is the case of the Lavallato scandal or the car wash scandal. No, all former Peruvian presidents since 1990 uh, have been prosecuted by corruption uh, allegations, uh, some such as former dictator Alberto Fujimori are in prison and all the others have been in prison or under preliminary detention such as Ollantumala, Alejandro Toledo. In recent weeks, uh, the U.S. has approved no, the extradition of Alejandro Toledo from the U.S. to Peru. Um, former President Alan Garcia um, committed suicide just when he was about to be arrested at his home. Then it's a chaotic scenario. 
And the second is related uh, to the institutional design. I think that the instability has worsened in the last seven years. Um, there is several legal figures related to, to that matter. I think that this, the, the runoff between Pedro Pablo Kuczynski and Keiko Fujimori were the design of the representation system in Peru allowed Fujimorismo to dominate with absolute majority despite having just 35% of the votes in the Congress. Um, they, they have 73 parliamentaries of an unicameral parliament of just uh, 130 seats. Um, this opposition majority added to President Kuczynski's small bench. Uh, he had only 17 seats, uh, creating a scenario of continuous confrontation. No, the parliament censured several of President Kuczynski's ministers and then resigned before he was voted out of the office. No? His successor, Martin Vizcarra, had not uh, just this, uh, this, the same style as Kuczynski. He confronted with this unpopular Congress and forced uh, a dissolution of this parliament. And I think since then, uh, the problem is that you have two red buttons in the political scenario in Peru, the vacancy for moral incapacity and the solution of the parliament, the one is at the hand of the executive and the other one is at the hands of the Congress. And the problem here is that vacancy and dissolution, uh, they are two just uh, red buttons for me. Uh, they have been used frequently. And this could be part of the design that we have, uh, you, you have asked me. Uh, I think that the design, in Peru, I'm not worried about the design itself, no. I think there's there's another problems, but for me, the, the, the main problem is not the institutional design, it's politicians that are increasingly weak and do not represent anyone in this moment, no. But, but you have, if we can just address the matter of what is the institutional design problem, I could say that this problem of the vacancy for moral incapacity and the dissolution of the parliament at the hand of the, of the executive, I, I think there, this is, this is a, an important problem in the institutional design. Right, thank you so much, Gonzalo. That was a very 
good fast look at uh the whole situation and we really liked how you explained it um so i did actually want to ask a bit um about what you mentioned so you talked about how um it's not just the the failures and flaws in the political institutional design but also the increasingly weakening uh politicians as well as the dissolution of parliament um and this coupled with all the protests that are going on that seem to be fueled by things like wealth gaps and people's um unhappiness at such institutional and politicians failures so why do you think all these previous presidents and leaders um, who have grown increasingly weak have failed to address the issue of social reform that then led to all these messes getting so unhappy at all these institutions and politicians that were meant mm -hmm. to serve them. I think there have been important advances in the fight against poverty. Poverty has decreased a lot. No, the Peru of the 80s was a broke country without access to global markets. Peru today has a solid macroeconomic strength that comes after our traumas against hyperinflation in the 80s. Peru's central bank and its independence have played a fundamental role in this matter, but we have been unable to take advantage of the booms of some commodities, such as copper, for example, which brought a lot of resources. But for me, Peru's biggest problem in this matter is that development has been unequal in the regions outside Lima, the capital. No? And I believe that um, the main failure here has been that the centralization process in Peru uh, has failed, no? because the regional governments that were created in 2002 are full of corruption cases in the execution of many big um, uh, roadways or another hospitals, um, schools, no? Um, at the same time, they are very inefficient in planning and execution, no? There is a serious problem of state's capacity to improve quality of public health and education services because the regional governments have many limitations, no? There have been resources, no? That came from uh, the mining industries, but from corruption to the absence of technical capabilities, the problem has never been solved at all, no? We have a patrimonialistic state, no? Rather than a Weberian bureaucracy, no? And it does not matter if the national government or the regional government, I think that we have a patrimonialistic state and that's the matter in Peru. Thank you so much, uh, Professor, for um, your insights into the failure of uh, social reform. And I think um, from kind of like a broader perspective, uh, you know, the ouster, uh, the ouster of Castro has generated rather divided responses by, 
you know, different national leaders in Latin America, you know, with many left-wing presidents refusing to recognize uh, Barrett as the new president. So what do you think of the kind of like this and how to describe the influence of his ousting on, you know, Latin America politics? Is it going to create a more divided Latin America or is it the other way around? Yes, I, I think there's a lot of stakes in this question. Here is the bone of contention, I think, no? Pedro Castillo, and this is pretty clear for me, attempt a failed self-coup, no? trying to shut down the Congress and suspend the judiciary and the prosecutor office. For me, it's crystal clear. No, we all saw it. But at the same time, it's also true that a part of the Peruvian right wing refuses to accept Castillo as a president from the beginning, no? and made a lot of fool of themselves by denouncing a non-existent electoral fraud. No? And I believe that this anti-democratic behavior has allowed part of Castillo's followers to find some excuses to victimize themselves. But I believe that some presidents in Latin America are wrong in this matter. No? For example, I think that Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador in Mexico and Gustavo Petro in Colombia have gone too far no? and have claimed that what happened in Peru was a right-wing coup d'etat. And for me, this interpretation has not support, no? and I believe that is, this is rather due to their ideological delusions of both presidents. No? Um, and if you, if you see another reactions in Latin America, for example, Lula in Brazil and Boric in Chile, both leftist presidents have had quite different attitudes, no? uh, recognizing Boluarte as president, for example. No? Um, I, I think that there, there's like a nuance in, in the interpretation, in this kind of reaction of the left-leaning politicians in the region. No? Right, yeah. Um, thank you for that. We did find that very uh, interesting, especially because all these different countries are all issuing very different statements that you mentioned that then heralds this nuance in Latin American politics. So um, how would you actually um, characterize Castillo's influence on Latin American politics? Do you, do you think that this nuance will shift or change or are there any dynamics in Latin American politics that might potentially um, radically or, or even ever so slightly change? Um, uh, I think that Castillo, no? I think that Castillo, uh, it's a government that has not had fatalistic economic consequences. Um, 
I think that Castillo for this moment, um, the government from Castillo is like campaigning and winning an election by harnessing a version against Keiko Fujimori became easy for him, no? Because there were two previous different candidates, uh, Ollanta Mala and Pedro Pablo Kuczynski, that defeated Keiko Fujimori, no? Um, and Castillo was a rural school teacher who resembled most of Peruvians uh, were definitely, no, would rush her, no, where, and I think that uh, despite of all that, Castillo almost lost, no, because he's, he, he was shamelessly improvised, no, and that improvisation was more terrifying than his radicalism, no? Castillo's coalition was as diverse as the colors of the Peruvian cuisine, no? But it was unsustainable, no? Um, it was an alliance. Uh, he was attempted to just uh, uh, incompetent appointments, a feast of patrimonialism, and all that and weakening the state's capacity. And he did not honor most of his promises, no, I think, no. Uh, Pero Castillo was uh, a politician who promised many reforms, but he was a campesino, no? But for instance, no, his agriculture ministers could not even buy fertilizer for farmers, no? And I think that's that's the case to say that Castillo, when he came to power, uh, many Peruvians could just like wait the, Castillo was uh, some sense of hope for them, but I think that he ended up just caught under the wheels of many political and corruption scandals, no? Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Um, <clears throat> and that's definitely like a very detailed explanation on, you know, how the uh, Peruvian, uh, Peruvian uh, political crisis uh, originated, but then, it kind of like sparked me another question um, that, I mean, despite the fact that this may no longer be the case, but before Castillo's ouster, the Peruvian paradox was a phenomenon for many years. I mean, despite the political instability, we saw strong economic growth in Peru. And from your point of view, what can best explain this strange phenomenon, given this kind of like traditional conception that a country facing political instability would not perform well economically either yeah yeah that's very interesting question uh, for now it seems that the economy will not be affected but 
I would not be so sure if in the medium term or in the long term, with these downgrades of Peru's risk ratings, this will not have consequences at all. No, I, I think well, it's too too soon to do that. No. And the reason why the economy has just resisted is essentially based on the fact that the Peruvian constitution has given great autonomy to the central bank, which under the management of Julio Velarde has shielded the Peruvian currency. There has been also continuity in the management of the Ministry of Economy, which even with leftist government has never ceased to respect the macroeconomic policies for many years. And finally, I think that the Peruvian constitution of 1993 prevents the state from intervening in the economy as an active agent, but from a subsidiary role. No? These three reasons for me explain that despite the political chaos, public finances are well managed. Um, but the problem is that the, we are not growing at the level of 10 years ago. And this break for me is going to cost a lot in the future. No? In the midst of the energy transition, Peru has a lot of copper and lithium, but due to political instability, there are mining projects that have been paralyzed. At some point, it will cost us too. No, the support for a new constitution a few months ago was less than now. After all this political instability, uh, the polls show um, uh, majority Peruvians wants uh, constitutional assembly to make a new constitution. But this new constitution, when you ask Peruvians how do they want this new constitution seem, I think the most of them thinks this new constitution has to be as, stat, stat, as static as conservative constitution with a very uh, with a with a, a very central role of the state in the economy, and I think that's going to be chaos, chaotic. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure in the, in the future if Peruvians' stability, economical stability, is going to last um, in the next years. It's too soon for me to do to to just thinking about that. Right. Okay. Thank you, Gonzalo. So do you think there can ever be a good protest, given that there's so much uncertainty, but at the same time, are these protests necessary and will there ever be a good uprising from the people, do you think? I believe that uh, on the contrary, the protest after the overthrow of Castillo have not had these fatalistic economic consequences. 
I think that the most dramatic has been the deaths and the absence of political responsibilities after the violent repression. And except for Puno, in the rest of the regions in Peru, the protests have been decreasing in intensity. The protests in Peru are not usual movements that last uniformly throughout the territory. The Peruvian economy is informal, close to 80% of the economy is informal, which implies, for example, that people have to work to earn their income daily. No, otherwise they may not have eat, they not have to eat. And I believe that this this problem has benefited uh, the Boluarte government. No? But perhaps it's only just a temporary withdrawal of the protests to return with force in the coming months. But there's also, uh, um, I think that many protesters and demonstrators are also tired, no? And you have to consider the informality in Peruvian economy. We have seen, uh, we have seen that before, no? In, in the protests against Marino's government in 2020, we, we, we faced the same, no? The, the movements were the protests didn't actually last enough and the movement has not leadership or has not any political representation. Uh, I think that we are facing a very complex moment in Peru. And I, I don't know how, if we can say that there is a good protest uprising. There is a chaotic protest in this moment. But I think that this lack of political accountability coming from the government is the main issue here, no? Because you have an absence of political responsibility, no? In previous government, when you have that's probably you face some resigns in your cabinet, but this cabinet has no resignation at all. And I think that that's, that's the most important matter for me. Thank you so much, uh, Gonzalo. So, I mean, of course, all your insights into the, you know, the protest. And speaking of protest, it, you know, what was happening or what is still happening in Peru remind me of the pink tide back in, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, where we see several like uh, waves propelling left-wing politicians to power, especially in Latin America. So... Now, even though um, the new Peruvian president is considered right wing, I mean, given that she was expelled by her own party, 
back in like 2022, the rest of Latin America mostly has still has like left in government, for example, Chile, Argentina, Mexico, to name a few. So, I mean, under, under traditional sense. So, from your point of view, want to franchise this sort of a way uh, from the picking tide in the 1990s and 2000s or even earlier? Uh, yeah, definitely uh, it's a complicated question, but I think that more than a pink tide, like in the 90s um, or uh, after that, no, the current wave is an anti-incumbent wave, no, which reflects the crisis of the traditional political parties in Latin America and reflects this like completely unsatisfaction of citizens with their politicians in such a way that they have opted for politicians from another political party. No? And I think that the main difference in this wave is that these leftist governments do not have the popularity and support than those of the 90s, no? Or the presidents of the socialismo del siglo XXI, no? Like uh, Chavez or the first Lula or Evo Morales, no? When they, they began their presidencies, no? And they are presidents who had not have honeymoons, no, no, because uh, they, they popularity support, their popularity ratings are like very, very, when you, when you compare with, with these previous waves, they're very weak, no? And neither do they have a majority in the parliament. In the parliament, no, they they do not have that that majority, and they can pass reformist legislation, no, as happens this week, no, with Boric, for example, no, uh, his inability to pass a tax reform, no, that that was a. I think that was a very big objective of Boric government, but they are, for me, this this pink tie or anti-incumbent uh, way for me is like they are weaker governments in general. They do not have solid blocks like the previous ones, um, and you see that. This is what is going on in Latin America. You are not in the presence of very strong political parties or a strong populist that has a vast majority of popular support. Or they have this weak support and depend uh, their main reforms of reaching a majority a majority that actually they don't have at parliament, no? And I think this is the, the new problem, no? The, the spreading of weak 
political actors uh, within Latin America. Now that for me, that's this is the the main difference with the previous uh, left-leaning political uh, political parties. No. All right. Thank you, Gonzalo, for that response. Um, so we did actually read an article by you in America's Quarterly where you talked about the desire in Lima and the rest of Peru for iron fist policies. And uh, you talked about how what remains to be seen is whether a competent and authoritarian figure will emerge to take advantage of the situation. Do you foresee that as the only way out of Peru's current dysfunction? Or do you think that any other possible alternative routes that might befall Peru or that Peru might undertake? Or do you think this is the only sole way that Peru will break out of current instability? Yeah, no, I think that uh, President Boluarte no, has uh, a weak mandate, no? Um, she uses force to repress protesters, demanding new election and her resignation. And the result of that is 60 death, no, and a country besieged by violence, no. Um, at this moment, there is not any agreement in parliament to reach. Uh, just to speed up the next general elections or move forward. Um, I think the, the establishment has decided to support Boluarte, but at the same time, um, they, they fail in, by doing so, and they increase the support for a constituent assembly at the same time, leftists do believe, and I think this is a huge mistake, that uh, this is a constitutional or constituent movement moment, no? Uh, and I think this is pretty chaotic, no? General elections probably offer just a promise of a moment of peace, no, in a fracturated country where citizens are infuriated and satisfied with this democracy, with their democracy. Um, I think there, there is, there is a case to argue, no, that the one step from chaos and fury before people just surrender to an authoritarian authoritarian populist who restores order no um, i think there is a case for that no because actually we had one of that populist uh, many years ago no alberto primori no and um, we have to, to be very cautious with, with, with what's going on in Peru, no? Um, I think it's, it's a warning, no? It's a warning call, no? That when you have this chaos and instability, probably people 
who are feeling just uh, very upset you know, with with the uh, with the political parties with the political actors with their democracy there is just a small step to to authoritarian populist you no know, just to put order to this chaotic scenario thank you so much uh gonzalo so that brings us to so what you're saying brings us to uh the final question we have for today's interview that if there's anything uh you would like to reflect on the existing political crisis and if there's anything we can learn from it or any takeaways for future democracies for example argentina chile despite they might have different sort of um, you know uh institutional design or you know political realities mm -hmm. yeah i think that peru is is uh, it's it's like a perfect storm no it's just two months ago you you have a new president in the office three months ago and the seven in six years no in the aftermath of two resignations including two vacancies and a parliament dissolution uh, peru is uh, is uh, an example of what are the risks if you build government based only or rely only on antipathy no and surrounding them with a galaxy of meaningless and weaker political projects no that's for me is the lesson peru is like a warning call to every democracy in the world that you should not winning an election trying to stirring up hate because castillo just stirring up hate against Keiko Fujimori. And the problem is when you don't, when you win, a, when you, when you won an election, just stirring up hate and hatred. And I think that the problem in that case is that you don't have a political agenda because you don't have ideas, political ideas. What are your political reforms? What are, what, what are your, policies what are you promising because i think that's that's a that's a huge uh, taking in political in the political case of peru no you should be aware that in political systems uh, of democracies when you win an election you should just uh, address some matters, some policies, and not just the, the hate you know, for your political enemies, as was the case of Keiko Fujimori. You know? That's a very, very tricky lesson for me coming from Peru. And I think that's an important lesson to shoot to, uh, to democracies in all 
Latin American countries, no, because uh, we are we are facing that, no, uh, people who vote against Bolsonaro, against Lula, against Cast in Chile, no, that kind of of messages against Petro in Colombia, no, people try just to 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 vote against a candidate, and that, that for me is a perfect storm for democracy no and for me that, that this is the warning call coming from from peru all right thank you so much gonzalo your responses have been incredibly helpful we've learned so much from you and i'm sure our listeners have as well and it was a really a great honor having you on this podcast so thank you so much for your time mm -hmm.